Today's chat is brought to you by, well, all of your support. Through the patronage you provide the Focus Fire chat team through Podbean's crowdfunding, we are able to provide you with the weekly podcast as well as the website and other aspects of Focus Fire chat. If you have any interest in becoming a patron of the FFC, please be sure to visit our website and click on the support link. Even a single dollar helps. And for those of you who are already patrons, thank you again for your generosity. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat. Explore together. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on May 29th, 2020, over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat, as we continue our discussion over the story and overall concept of Fellwinter's Lie. This particular episode will serve as what we have come to call the advanced session for the week's exploration. Congratulations to those who signed up for a deeper dive. Before we go any further, however, let's run through a quick introduction of who all we have with us on the show. As always, this is your host, Blue Crew 86 And this is the... Costco hot dog loving green eyed music lover. There is a reason for this intro. I swear. I may be talking with Danny from Bungie about okay. Costco hot dogs okay. at the moment. <laughs> because we both love, like, Costco hot dogs are amazing. They're a little garlic, garlicky and they're cheap. And we were just kind of lamenting about how they don't have all the condiments out anymore because of the crisis. <laughs> anyway. Fuck your show. Well, Black Flag, that's the weirdest one yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, this week we're also joined by a few others. First up, we have Lazarich the Lich. Laz, how are you doing this evening? How's it going, y'all? Just another day in... Lockdown, quarantine, whatever other strange term you want to call it these days. <laughs> and then next up is our good friend in the Focus Fire Chat community manager, Pins Halo. Pins, how is the evening treating you? Getting a little bit later than what I'm used to, but yeah, I'm doing well. <laughs> Drink coffee. That's all. That's the answer to everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we have with us Neo Mad Dog. Neo, how about you? How's everything going so far? I'm great. I'm back in line exploring the plague lands. Nice. Nice. There we go. I thought about doing, I thought about jumping into the uh, D1 Rise of Iron expansion again just to see it. Every time I get a little bit bored of D2, did take a break. I always, I like to hop back in line and just want to do some strikes, do some small. Mm-hmm. Crucible doesn't feel good in D1 anymore, I will say that. Yeah, I can still like climbing Fellwinter's Peak again, though. Right? Mm. That was the best, like, little side thing you can do that just... There was only that one lore piece at the top, and nothing else about climbing that mountain mattered, besides proving to your fire teammates that you could do it. <laughs> Speaking of the... So there there was also the one above the eight that used to be closed off until Iron Banner started during Rise mm-hmm. of Iron. Mm-hmm. And I, my mm-hmm. buddy and I didn't know how we could get up there um, to, in the social space, so we played the King of the Mountain um, story mission and ride a skiff to the top of the tower. What? I didn't know you could ride the skiffs. Like, seems like they kill you now, anytime you jump uh, on it, it goes, it goes, um, you can get to the tower before it hits the kill barrier. <laughs> Okay. That's how we got the lore piece, and then Iron Banner came across, and we figured out you could get up there. Nice. 
Are you well, guys, blue. you guys, ready to jump right into it? I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn it actually over to Pins. Pins did some awesome work with uh, the Order of Rasputin files in regards to this. And I figure that actually does a fair amount of, you know, a little bit more detailed background on what is going on with Fellwinter in connection to Rasputin. But I'll also let Pins kind of explain explain this particular rabbit hole that we that we dive down. Well, uh, you know, a little bit. I started reading the uh, Liar book when it came out, and while I was supposed to be doing work, and uh, <laughs> best time. Yes, and in reviewing, it was the Siddhartha Golem uh, entry, and I was looking at it, and I noticed that the identifiers. All like there's actually two parts to that one. And in each part, the identifiers were actually chronological where part one ended in 120 and then or started at 120 and ended in 121. And I started realizing that that number system, I'm I initially thought, oh, I know people in D1 thought maybe it was a date or time or things of that nature. And I started thinking, what if that's actually the uptime count for Rasputin? And so I started digging through the rest of the cards and I start, noticed that, you know, the the first part of Siddhartha Golem has um, 15 characters in total, but all the other ones had 16. And they all pretty much fell into that where you have one part that ends in 120 and then the last line, the last identifier is 121. So it's, it kind of shows, at least from what I looked at, it looked as the chrono- how those entries fit chronologically in um in the entry so you can kind of see how things progressed uh in regards to uh rasputin and his decision structure so um the first part is arthur golem one is and i don't know if we want to read these or just do a summary of these how do you guys want to um for the the actual files themselves yeah for that do you mean just I think I, I think giving a summary just because you know I, I do yeah. we want to we want to focus on Fellwinter and this is just kind of a build up to Fellwinter yeah. really um, we can always come back and read them for a Rasputin episode yeah. but well the the two that obviously have the most direct link to um, to Fellwinter and those ones will be the Siddhartha Golem is the Siddhartha Golem card um, like I said this one's in two parts the first part is nothing more than a summary of uh, a set of commands where um, it seems like Rasputin is keying something up to be able to go out and gather information. Um, not exactly sure when this this part this first part happens, but I'm willing to bet it's based upon where it fits with the other cards, specifically how um, I think it's the darkness card where you actually see Rasputin shutting down or going into sleep mode, however you want to put it, makes me think that this is in during the Golden Age, and Rasputin is actually sending out, and based upon this, it's Fellwinter, or as an exo, to gather information and then bring it back and then upload it into Rasputin so he can have some idea of how people are reacting and how people are just acting out there. Um, one of the key things in there is a, is that the initi- initiate Siddhartha Golem upload at DSC 342 to assess integrity of moral structures. DSC is Deep Stone, Deep Stone Crypt, and 
let me check. Sorry, one thing here. It's Siddhartha Golem is actually. Damn it, I can't find that now. Oh, the significance of the term. Yeah, that that term. I. Siddhartha is the name of first Buddha. Yes, mm-hmm. Siddhartha yeah. Guatama is the name of the the last part. Golem. Golem is a reference to a um a, like a golem in D and D, where mm-hmm. it's yeah, just a, a stand-in. Thank you, thank you, a homunculus. Siddhartha is the first name of the original Buddha, Siddhartha Guatama, which thank I you. may be butchering how butchering how you say it, but I did a whole term paper on that guy. So anyway, continue. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that, like I said, the first part of that is all, and especially the, the ending quote, which is experiences the teacher of all things, um, essentially it's a card of Rasputin just trying to gather experience and different experiences, um, by way of experiencing something through an avatar, which in this case is an exo. Uh, the second part of that is, um, you know, especially cause it starts off coronary mirror shear which coronary of course is a heart attack so in reading this it's it's Rasputin detecting that something is wrong and immediately sees that his golem has been identified with o o energy signature which means energy from the traveler um he, he immediately tries to remote seize the asset which fails he tries a remote injection of wetware payload, which I would, which to me means he's trying to upload a virus <laughs> to it, and that fails. Um, you know, a remote injection of hardware payload, which means he's trying to, th- he's throwing things at it, um, and realizes that We're none of it is working. Someone. Yeah, he's, he's essentially, this is where, um, this is right after, essentially, the ghost resurrects Felwinter, and um, Rasputin detects this and immediately says, no, that's mine. You can't have it. And immediately tries to take it back and fails. So and uh, and then at that point in time, everything remote doesn't work. So he's like, OK, fine, here we go. And just starts sending stuff out after him, which, you know, throughout the liar book, he throws uh, more, more sats and yep. uh, frames at him. So and then. And weep the more because I weep in vain. Um, it's well, I can't remember exactly where that quote is from. Um, it just seems to indicate that it's like, you know, he's trying all this stuff and it's just not working and it's just frustrating him. So, um, yeah, and then like I said, the the other cards: Rasputin Five, Darkness, Rasputin Three, Six, the Sleeper Simulant card, and then Unsecured Outcry, which was a ship we got in Forsaken. Forsaken, yeah. Um, none of them have direct ties to Felwinter, but like I said, I just thought it, thought it was interesting that this was how you can kind of see the chronological of uh, those cards, which because dates don't really exist. <laughs> uh, oh, thanks, Blue. And um, and Weep the More Because I Weep in Vain is from uh, On the Death of Richard West with, by Thomas Gray, which was a poet, if I remember correctly. Yep. Yep. It's a yeah. sonnet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought because we don't actually have a lot of stuff in set chronological, chronological order in destiny, I thought that the simple fact that, Hey, this actually seems to be in some type of chronological order was, it just captured my mind, uh, captured my, uh, imagination and I just kind of ran with it. So, 
it is nice to actually get a little bit more information about why or how the structuring goes in the actual timestamps. Because I see that and I just see a bunch of gibberish, honestly. <laughs> like, I just... What? I, no, go ahead. Sorry. I just... I, I, I missed what he had said. What did you say, Neo? No, I said I'm with you there. I'm just... Oh, like... yeah. I Like I said, I, honestly, it was... It just... It was just one of those weird moments that I was re as I was reading through it, and I said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute." And I looked at it; and it's like one twenty, one twenty-one. It's okay; those are. Mm-hmm. And I thought back, and I seem to remember very early on in one of the early Rasputin episodes, there was a lot of talk about, you know, what you know is this, you know, how is this, and can can this be converted to some kind of date and time? And no one really could come up with anything. And then all of a sudden, it, it just seemed to pop in my head it's like well they're chronological they they go up by new numerics i mean the only one that really mm-hmm. has a big jump is uh is ghost fragment darkness which is the one where essentially it's the sky shock alert where um he, he goes into midnight exigent yeah where he sort of says i'm taking control of everything um so that's a whole i mean that's just a whole list of things that he's detecting and running through so like I said, it just seemed to think, okay, these aren't, it wasn't, it's not necessarily a time entry, but it's just, okay, here's the order of how things went. You know, so. Definitely seems that way. It also seems like within those same codes that there's designations of possible locations, because there's variants in those as well. CB, CL, CL, AT, MX. It's just, I want to know what the rest of the code means. Oh, no, I didn't think about that i was just more thinking that after a certain point in time you know as you start going up you start stop using numbers and start throwing letters in as well to expand mm-hmm. how long it's been so that's kind of where i was taking it but yeah cool uh blue yeah actually i was gonna say the uh there's there's another really kind of cool connection with the sonnet on the death of richard west um it was actually written with the idea uh, to kind of be um, something that was done or it was supposedly uh, the quote I and weep the more because I weep in vain was supposedly said by a, a historical figure, Solon, um, when told that weeping would not help following the death of his son. Um, and so and the actual sonnet is is really pretty, but it was written by um, uh I just went blank. Uh, Thomas Gray, when one of his uh, one of the friends of his was um, well, he died, and he was he was it it impacted Gray so much that he wrote his first basically one of his first big sonnets uh, for that. And so you know, in in its credit, it's credited to be the first important sonnet written in English since the time of Milton. So I mean, it's a it's a pretty well known sonnet for those who are in that type of that circle of literature. So it, it's, if you haven't had a chance to read it, it's, it's really short. It's really, really pretty. And the history of it's actually pretty cool. Considering speaking the, of, go for it. Oh, I was uh, speaking of other like cultural, cultural um, references. I was going to mention, I wanted to mention it earlier um, my own, like before the podcast started, but since I learned that green wrote a term paper about it, I thought maybe, talk about the significant Siddhartha as uh, the designated. Right. So Siddhartha, Siddhartha Gautama is 
part of the story of the Buddha, a lot of there is a lot of like legend built into it because of the time frame in which it took place. Because this is uh, before AD is generally the belief for it. And Siddhartha was a prince who was raised in this idyllic situation. And um, if you are in chat, Varu, I know you very likely helped me with this one as well. Um, this has probably been 10 years since I wrote this paper. So if I miss anything or forget something or misspeak, please let me know. But uh, Siddhartha was a prince who had every luxury of life. He had no sorrow, no pain, no, nothing was ever wrong in his life. Everything was idyllic. And then one day he makes his way down to the marketplace. And according to the legend, he sees, I believe, a sick man, a man who is essentially dying of both old age and sickness. And he's shocked. It kind of rocks him to his core. And at that time, he was still learning lessons about kind of like the religious um, basic lessons of the time, but he took those lessons and turned them on their head at that point and basically gave up his his princedom to lead a light life of more moderation and understanding of suffering. And he went out amongst the people and learned how to suffer because he would he would not buy anything. He would basically live off of the graciousness of others. And he went, um, you have the different images of Buddha, which granted, these are not all the same Buddhas, but you have the images of like the very, very thin and very anemic looking Buddha who is very uh, scraggly. And then you also have like laughing Buddha and whatnot that happens. These are all just different archetypes of Buddha. But Siddhartha mostly went out and learned what it means to suffer by being amongst the quote-unquote normal people, which I think is the bigger tie-in with the name convention here. I don't think that Fellwinter necessarily was on the path of enlightenment or anything like that, but just more to understand what it's like to be amongst the people. Yeah. Varu. Varu is very correct in that both Buddhism and Hinduism have faith systems based on the samsara, which is an old, if I remember correctly, isn't that a warlock set? Or was that just a across-the-board set? Uh, I think, I don't know. Well, there was a set, actually. It yeah. a, it's also, it it's also, set. yeah, it's also referenced in quotes, too. <clears throat> but the, I think the Siddhartha is mainly in reference to the fact that Rasputin wanted to walk among the people and understand more. And the way he had been taught prior to sending out Fellwinter was assimilating cultural phenomenon, whether it's music, literature. Blue could probably talk about this a little bit more with the uh, the Anna's role as the psycholinguist. psycholinguist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the concept, it's the archetypical concept of a servant leader. Um, or a wounded healer. Uh, it's it's something that actually quite a few world religions have a uh, figure. Uh, Christianity has it in the figure of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, Buddhism, you've talked about that one. And it's it's something that allows the connection of the higher power to the the everyday man. Uh, you know, it, it, it humanizes the supernatural and um it puts that that indescribable 
being into a uh, a form that is <clears throat> excuse me is uh relatable and understandable to us as humans um because in those in those you know in buddhism as same as like in christianity and you know other some other religions uh humanity is flawed and it it's a quest to become better right you know buddhism is well, all about the the becoming enlightened uh, right, Sam so. Samsara is the concept of the repeating cycle of um, life, birth, life, death, and rebirth. It's uh, Sanskrit. The karmic word. cycle. Yeah. It, it. Well, Samsara literally means continuous flow. Right. Um, I will preface what you said, or I will amend what you said a little bit, in that Buddhism isn't a deity-based. Fair. Like, yes. the Sorry. Buddha yes. is not considered... Um, like supernatural the buddha is a person who reached enlightenment which is just purely meaning like understanding and freedom from the the suffering of not understanding is essentially the most basic way i could say it yep and that's actually why buddhism is so um so fluid and able to fit into so many other religious worldviews is because Mm -hmm. buddhism for the lack of a better terminology buddhism doesn't threaten the validity of those religions because it's it's a way of life it's not a it's not a a belief structure i mean it is a belief structure but it's not a a, yeah anyways it's a um, practice right correct and so um but you know to bring it back into the the connection to Felwinter, when you start talking about a siddhartha golem um you know you guys were talking also I think it was in the introductory session, we were kind of mentioning the concept of an avatar. Um, golems are in in some ways an actual, another word for avatar because they are basically units that have been created in the Nate to do the bidding of a, another person, which is basically what an avatar is. Um, and so if you connect, if you're connecting this to Felwinter, you know, Siddhartha Golem that is what an exo really kind of is is a golem for a digital you know sentience whether that's rasputin or you know the digitized consciousness of a human being um fellwinter is a intriguing figure for for multiple reasons but one of the things that keeps kind of coming up in my mind is that if fellwinter is truly um a golem of Rasputin, and this is, you know, I'll, I'll go back. If that is the case, Felwinter is also the first Exo that we have come across that is not from a human consciousness, mm. which is extremely intriguing because up until now, all Exos, as far as we know, are from a digitized human consciousness. That's the whole thing with, you know, the the need for food, drink, you know, uh, physical pleasure, all those things are because the human mind isn't able to uh, synchronize with the uh, mechanical body. If Felwinter's not a human, that that actually enters like a really interesting kind of concept there because he would have a whole different set of issues with uh, synchronizing with the frame. Because if he's from a di- if he's a digital copy basically of Rasputin he's he's not used to having mobility right right Um, but he does mention the fact that he wants to sleep that is one of the things that you get yes i know it's it's, 
yeah it's really i i I do find some of the the um focuses on physicality within fell winter very interesting so where should we take this episode from here well i think you know the the other thing to look at is well we already talked about you know the remembrance record so we kind of already jumped that one um i was gonna see about his we only talked about his relationship with timmer there's a whole thing about shacks (laughs) you want to you want to talk about you want to talk about the punch punch punchy punch conversation why don't you get the card up why don't we actually read that because i think that card's hilarious (laughs) (laughs) somebody read this card i want to listen to it i'll read it um all right so sometime during the late dark age Iron Lords Ephrodit, Saladin, and Fellwinter sat in a warlock meditation chamber around a massive oak table in a keep on Fellwinter Peak. A fire crackled in the corner out of the lips of a stone-lined hearth. A handwritten letter in messy scrawl rested atop the table. Warlord Shax accepts my challenge, Fellwinter said, summarizing its contents. He advises us to enter from the south wall, which has been destroyed. The front door... He picked up the paper and scrutinized it again is undergoing weatherproof. This is your plan? Ephrodite said with some skepticism. How did he get this to you? His ghost brought it. Your plan is ill-advised, Saladin said, and a waste of time. No one's beat shacks in a fight, iron lords or warlords, Ephrodite continued, much less take territory from him. Ikora has, and I believe I can, Felwinter replied, his eyes burning into inside his sleek exoskull. Ephrodite tapped the table with her fingers, and Saladin stared into the polished surface. Unless either of you has a better idea? We're running out of time. Saladin shook his head. It's true. Radagast wants to launch a frontal assault. Entire Lord fire teams. Ephrodite's eyes narrowed under her helm. He wouldn't. There's almost a hundred people in that castle. Shax is holding those people hostage. They stay with him willingly, Felwinter replied. The warlords might pull the trigger, but Radagast wouldn't, Ephrodite repeated. Have you seen Radagast lately? He's tired of the wars. No one's been at it longer. That's no excuse. We came under him to end the infighting. Fellwinter stood. Then let me do my part for the cause. So there's a break here. The sky was completely white and there was a stark chill to the air as the trio entered the castle from a gaping fissure in the ruined south wall. As they stepped into the exposed hallway, the Iron Lords passed a few of Shaq's people who hurried away from them. One child cried in her mother's arms. They looked tired, but they weren't starving, and they were clothed for the oncoming inclement weather. The Iron Lords found Shax as they turned a corner, and the hallway opened up into a massive entrance of the keep. He was cautiously applying a fast-drying liquid polymer as a draft stopper underneath a set of ancient plasteel doors. "'Won't that hold a little too well?' Fellwinter asked as he strode up with the Iron Lords. Shax didn't stand, or look at them. I'll dissolve it when the storm is through, he said, liberally squeezing the paste with both hands from a gel tube. A brute force solution. I hear that's how you fight. I do what works with the tools I have, Shaq said, standing to inspect his weatherproofing. We'll freeze without this. The ghostless would suffer. That's something you care about? Fellwinter took a step forward. Shaq's turned to address the Exo. These people are under my protection. I owe them. Something the Iron Lord should ponder more often about those they protect. The Iron Decree was drafted to protect the Ghostless, Fellwinter replied. Give up your territory and join us. Let us show you how powerful your light can become. 
Strong words. I'll wager you said the same thing to Satan, before you killed him and his ghost. Saladin looked to Ephrodite in shock. She pretended she didn't notice and kept a hand near her cannon. Your decree disallows final deaths of your opponents, Shax continued. Yet, you've killed countless warlords, and an iron lord if the rumors are true. Felwinter's eyes quietly blazed. He took a step closer. Were they friends of yours? I don't have friends, just people I protect. We could use your help, Felwinter replied. You already have a Saint-14. Saint serves the Speaker, not the Iron Lords. He thinks highly of you. Perhaps I'm not being clear. I'm not going anywhere, and you lot aren't coming in. As long as I hold this territory, there will be no collateral damage from turf wars inside our borders. Iron Lords and Warlords be damned. Your South Wall says otherwise, and you're starting to piss me off. Are you here to duel or whine? Felwinter guessed that Shax now stood a little more than three feet from him. The Iron Lord stepped forward, dragged a solar sword from the air, and thrust it at Shax. The Warlord turned his stance sideways as the burning blade sang past his helm, ducked the horizontal cut that followed, and stepped back as Felwinter drove the blade into the stone floor. The chamber erupted with ethereal fire and solar light. Shaq's back fist took Felwinter's head from his shoulders in a shower of sparks. The Iron Lord's light died with his crumpling form. Ephrodite coughed as Saladin blinked inside his helm. Felwinter's ghost unfolded above his prone corpse, and the Iron Lord reemerged from a p- pillar of cascading light. You should have used your void instead, Shaq said. You could have brought the whole fort down on us, gained a fighting a chance. The Iron Lord shook his head. Your people wouldn't have survived that. Shax's hands engulfed Felwinter's shoulders like descending moons. I would have stopped you, but I like your thinking. Now, get out. The warlord left the chamber without looking back, toward the direction of the south wall. I need more time, Felwinter said, before Saladin or Ephrodite could utter a word. Saladin shook his head. Radagast has already assigned us strikes against the House of Devils. There's an uprising in the Cosmodrome. This was our shot to deal with Shax alone, and we failed. One lord makes no real difference in a strike against the Fallen. Buy me time, and I'll solve this. We don't have time. You said it yourself. The warlords will attack this fortress en masse. Not if I challenge again. He literally took your head off, Saladin replied. Ephrodite had a hand on her helmeted chin. We can buy time. Warlords in this region respect a prolonged challenge against Shax. Her eyes flickered to Felwinter beneath the helmet. Shax has multiple confirmed kills, final deaths... It's no small thing to challenge him. Most of those cowards won't, and they'll gladly let you try again, till Shax decides to go after your ghost. Felwinter stared at the weatherproof plasteel doorway of the chamber. I have a feeling that won't be a concern, he replied. Besides, these people will never repair that south wall alone. The oncoming storm will be their end. I'll help them. Change a plan, then, Saladin said. You'll buy time for us. What? said the Exo. Keep Shax busy until we finish this business with the Fallen. Then, we're coming for this castle. Ephrodite, if I could have a word? Saladin asked, his cloak flowing around him as he departed in the same direction as Shax, leaving Felwinter alone in the chamber. Whew, another break. All right. Ephrodite snorted. You didn't know? She exclaimed over the wind as she and Saladin descended descended the mountain on a gravelly snow-covered road. That Felwinter is an oathbreaker? Saladin shook his head. No. You've never wondered why Radagast hates his guts? She said. That takes a lot. Agreed. Why has he abided this? Every one of Felwinter's confirmed kills broke the Iron Decree. He provided ample evidence. Ghost killers, murderers, and worse. All of them. But he never asked for permission. 
Felwinter is no Saint-14. Why does he do it? He calls it operational necessity? Saladin scoffed. I've never heard an Exo talk like that. Like what? They're usually more expressive. Does this change the plan? Saladin looked up at a trio of circling Karen birds as they walked. There is no plan. We'll quell this devil uprising, then strategize a frontal assault with the full force of the Iron Lords behind it. Hopefully, Felwinter keeps Shaq busy until then. Ephrodite shook her head. People will die. If the warlords attack him first, they'll be catastrophic. Shaq's forced our hand. Whew. Alright. One more break. Shaxx and Felwinter watched Ephrodite and Saladin descend the snow-covered mesa from the shattered south wall. I thought I told you to get out. Shax broke the silence. I mean to challenge again, Felwinter replied. Not today. Shax shook his head. My ghost believes it'll snow before nightfall. Yes, Felwinter said. What did this? Fallen Walker? No amount of Golden Age polymer can repair this wall for bar- before that storm rolls in. Nope, Shax agreed. My light will be the wall. A ward of dawn? Your people will freeze. A well of radiance is what you need. My light will be the wall. You think my hammer of soul won't burn bright enough to last the storm? Of course it would. And you'd set this castle ablaze. Leave it to me. I leave my people to no one. But if you're seeking shelter, you're free to stay. You call them your people? You rule them like a king? I protect them. Some kings don't know the difference. A light dusting of snow started to fall. Does your mountain have a name? The Iron Lord asked the Warlord. No. I call mine Felwinter Peak. Do I look like I care? For days, the storm had kept anyone from traversing the mountain path. Between Felwinter and Shax, the people of the castle were safe from the elements. Saladin and Ephrodite had sent word the Fallen Campaign would last at least another few weeks. So, Felwinter challenged again. Shax accepted. Iron Lord met Warlord in the backfield beyond the shattered south wall. Felwinter aimed a palm strike at Shaq's center of mass. The Warlord slipped sideways, narrowly avoiding the burst of void light that blossomed forth, and cracked a back fist into Felwinter's skull, sending him sprawling backwards. Felwinter struggled to a knee, then to his feet, his long cloak, his long coat flowing around him. A fissure of sparks sprayed from his skull. How many Warlords have challenged you? he asked. I lost count a century ago. Shax replied. He stayed in his sideways stance, waiting for the Exo to make a move. I will not stop. Never rest, Felwinter said. And the warlords are just like me. They refuse to end each other, not because of a code or an iron decree, because they're afraid to die, and they will plague this world forever. Felwinter raised his arms in a striking position. How many of us will you fight? As many as I need to. Shax closed the distance, slipping past the Exo's guard, and snapped the back of his fist into Felwinter's temple which promptly shattered. The skies were clear, so Felwinter challenged again the day after. Shax accepted. They met on the backfield. How long will your people last out here? Felwinter asked. Longer than you, Shax replied. It was true. A flying knee separated the Iron Lord from his head within seconds of a short melee. When the Exo's ghost put him back together, Shax was already halfway back to the south wall. How long do you expect them to stay here? Felwinter called after him. The warlord turned back. What are you talking about? he asked. How long do you expect your people to stay? They will not survive the winter. I'll find a way. You have a way. If you won't join the Iron Lords, let us help you. Your wars have left my people homeless, and worse. They would never trust you. If you asked them to, perhaps they would. You're their king. I'm no king. Prove it. I have nothing to prove to you. Prove it to them. 
Weeks later, Ephrodite and Saladin brought a silver army with them, gleaming weapons in their hands. Nine Iron Lords dismounted their machines at the foot of Shax's mountain. Twelve warlords, armored in electric styles from across the region, opposed them at the path that led up to the mountain peak. Particle weapons hummed operational life on both sides. Slug rifles racked and readied. Fellwinter and Shax watched them from the ruined south wall. Your friends are here to back you up, the Exo said, if they need to. I don't have friends, Shax replied, and they don't need to. Tell them, stop this before the shooting starts, the Exo said. Your people will not survive this. Is that a threat? The warlord asked. No, they're not like us. Everything they might become dies with them. Shax stared down at the Iron Lords. Your people involve yourselves, or you people involve yourselves in matters that are not your own, especially Radagast. Radagast is scattered. He thinks he has the weight of all those we protect on his shoulders. No one has that kind of strength, not even a light bearer. Why do you back them? Because the Iron Lords are going to change the world. No one can stop them. I stopped you. Your people will not survive this. Tell the warlords to stand down. They'll listen. They fear you. You're not bound to an iron decree. Shaq shook his head. They fear that everything they might become would die with them. The other warlords had departed. Shaq stood with the iron lords on the path up the mountain. He stared down at them. Who won? Ephrodite asked. Shax, Felwinter said. He patted Shax on the shoulder. Shax did. The Exo pulled Ephrodite aside to arrange an evacuation plan for Shax's people to Vostok Observatory in the Cosmodrome. Saladin and Shax stood in silence as the other lords began their march up the path. Hello, said Saladin. Hello, Shax said. They shook hands. Iron Lord Shax? No. Fellwinter, Saladin, and Ephrodite sat at a massive oak table on a keep atop Fellwinter's Peak. A holographic blueprint of Shax's castle hung in the air. It'll take some time to breach the security codes, the Exo said, indicating an underground extension of a mile, about a mile under the fortification. But this is it, one of several across the earth, perhaps across other worlds. Some are tied to more important systems than others. All Golden Age, some hide weapons, armor, nanites. What is it? Saladin asked. A seraph bunker, Rasputin tech. And then this is the part where we've already read with Teemer and Fellwinter. Yep. This could almost be its own book. Like yeah, I, lo- I I just, uh, I love, <laughs> didn't I tell you to get out? What I think is interesting about is that, like, at this point, it's not entirely clear whether Felwinter actually cares about uh, about the people and is just trying to check or he actually does and is, like, out of the goodness of his heart. Because like seems to think he does, because in the mission text he says that he used his own love of the people against him. Yeah, and I think that too. I just like maybe at this point it's a little less clear. Like it's slow developing. It's like he's using these arguments so often in the but um, but it's interesting that Shaxx parked his castle right above a seraph bunker, and that's the real reason Felwinter wanted to get there wanted to get either Shax to join or some other thing. Wanted to be able to search it. I just love how Shax just backhands his head off his body. Like, that's a little <laughs> gruesome. But, wow. I mean, to be fair, Shax did give him first strike. <laughs> right, but... He missed, but... <laughs> do you know how... Okay, Shax is terrifying, yes, but do you know how much more terrifying that makes sure? Mm-hmm. Knowing what Sure did to Shax. That's why Shax loves Sure. 
Oh my god, that's You're scary. Beautiful. <laughs> she is terrifying in my eyes now. Like she's not only just like this massive Zarya like character who's like this Russian like she's not Russian obviously, but I imagine this giant Russian woman just total bad able to do anything. Mm-mm. 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 Not if Shax is that good. Like Shax literally does not lose is not only just quote-unquote brute force, but he's elegant in a lot of these moves that are described. The other thing that I do um, actually like about this is um, up at the beginning, there is a soft confirmation that Ikora has already defeated Shax. So there's a bit of a time confirmation there too. So, I mean, either, I mean, there's a couple different (laughs) chat. Calm down, Green. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, she, she's she's not wrong, um, but there's there's like there's two two kind of options here: either that the guardians that we see in game are really really old, or that the time frame that we're dealing with is not as significantly large as I think a lot of people assume it is, um, because it's pretty much now the case where every major character that we have interacted with in game has been alive for quote unquote different ages and, and events that we thought were happening at different stages, you know, we've get, we're getting more clarity on when those events are actually happening. I mean, Ikora defeating Shax, we always assumed was during, you know, the city age or near the end of, you know, that the, I guess the dark age ish era, but because it was in the crucible. Now, we know that there was a semi-form of the Crucible prior to Shax kind of taking it over within the city. But, you know, we get confirmation basically here that Ikora is still one of the only few, even now, or even then, that could defeat Shax. Which is a testament to Ikora as well. I Speaking of Ikora's character, I, I at this point, well, because she's considered an iconoclast, I feel like she's just kind of a like a wandering warrior who just yeah, tries she, to challenge whoever this whoever she comes across like hey want to fight <laughs> hey want to fight she's the i mean she's the freaking what the the angry ladybug oh i mean i Francis don't think she's from I don't bugs know. life oh no no it's the kids no. book the the oh, oh gosh i'm going to have to find it i'm pretty sure it's angry ladybug hang on i am I always see Ikora as as more of the, she has a very firm line, and if you cross that line in any way, she'll take your head off for it. Not necessarily like she's going out searching for fights, although, I mean, old Ikora was a fire, fire, um, fiery woman, so possibly. I want to see Ikora fight besides just the, uh, my god, blue. Um, besides Steve <laughs> put the picture of the grumpy ladybug in chat. It is a children's ladybug. book. It's a great children's book, but basically every time he runs into somebody, want to fight? <laughs> no, it's a, it's a gag from Who's Line. Like, names say something that will guarantee to start a fight. Hey, you guys want to start a fight? <laughs> <laughs> I just now have this image of Ikora as a grouchy ladybug. Oh. Anyways, continue, Green. What you were saying? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> I, 
Okay, so Shax takes off Felwinter's head in the first fight, and then Felwinter says, give me time and I'll wear him down, essentially. He's not actually, he never claims that he's going to win any of these fights, that he just would eventually convince Shax with tenacity, I guess. (laughs) I'm just going to keep, he's just the little brother who's running at the big brother. (laughs) The big brother's just putting him down every fight, every chance he gets, and just eventually there's like a bond of like, yeah, I've I've beaten the crud out of you multiple times, kid, but you got something. You got spunk. You got spunk. (laughs) Oh, lordy. There is also a, a nod here again towards a bit of a time like explanation because the reference here to the Iron Lord that Felwinter was supposedly was responsible for killing that would Dryden. be uh, Dryden. Yep, which would put the events with um, uh, Drifter climbing Felwinter's peak and telling him about him. And that whole story, that would have happened before this. Just puts a whole new perspective on where Drifter's at in the story. Felwinter's got gumption. Yes, he has <laughs> definitely got gumption. Um, there Spunk. was something that, uh, Black, I think Black Flag, yeah, Black Flag had said, you know, it was interesting to him how Felwinter imparted the same lesson to Shax that um, Aarthi and unknowingly gave him. You know, like the the concern and caring for people by reaching out and by building a relationship with them um you know all of the, the, the everyone in that event was completely not conscious of teaching that lesson but yet the lesson was still taught it's very interesting interesting how Shax turns down Phil Winter's offer of the well of radiance Oh my god, that was just basically a guardian pissing contest. Was it really anything is. you can do, I can do better. Yeah, uh-huh. that's was... uh-huh. <laughs> I can do anything better than Your you. Your ward of my dawn hammers. isn't gonna isn't gonna protect them from the cold. Uh I'm <laughs> I have... My hammers will do the job. <laughs> yeah, if you burn down the castle. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's just that's. I just love Ephrodite's response to the, the beheading. Ephrodite's just like, <clears throat> really? Just... Did she laugh? I can't remember. If she no, laughed. No, she or did. Was she just, just like... coughed. She just like, <clears throat> like that's mm-hmm. it. And Saladin's like, wait, what? I love how Saladin is so innocent at Felwinter's history. Like oh, he had yeah. no idea, no clue that Felwinter actually killed. Like broke the Iron Decree. Like Saladin is like the purest Iron Lord, I think that's out there. Considering like all of his little babies, he is he is is the purest light bringer or Iron Lord that's out there because you know he's the only Iron Lord that's out there. Ephrodite's still alive somewhere. She's not an Iron Lord though. She forsake that title. Saint Fourteen's an honorary. Yeah. Kind Technically, of? we well, not that he remembers, but we are. <laughs> you still a little sore on that one? I think everybody's no. a little sore on that one. I earned that title, thank you. <laughs> that was my yeah. favorite, favorite part of yeah. Rise of Iron, was being called an Iron Lady. Just, you know, just like I'm not sore that Shax has my d- raise lighter. 
I want yeah. Young Wolf's Howl back. Like, I want my sword. <laughs> oh, man. Knock that other horn off your helmet. I also like how Saladin is like, Iron Lord Iron checks? Lord checks? No. No. <laughs> if I remember right, I don't think he even... Or they refer to, they refer to him here as the Warlord. But I don't think Shax even had a title like that he referred to himself as. Funny thing is, now he's just referred to as Lord Shax. Well, the, yeah, the Arbalest Dr- Lord Tab talk about the yeah, the yeah, Arbalest it- Lord Tab had a conversation with the Drifter and Lord Shax about why he Shax. I was about to say I thought there was a conversation between Drifter and Shax about that. I've forgotten about that. But I it's also we- it's also mentioned in the uh, dodgeball cards. Oh, that's oh right. yeah, yeah. Those are adorable as well for shacks. Yeah, but I think that's a I think that's a fun, good place to call it. Mm-hmm. You guys have anything else that you want to throw in um, the episode yeah, before so, we jump off? Go for it. So there's um uh in the last page of the liar book, chapter thirteen, the mistake. Mm-hmm. Um. There's this paragraph. So, uh, so Felwinter looked at him, Timur, and then back at Saladin. With Siva, we could build more cities. We could help more people. Passion wasn't his strong suit, but he felt it now more than he had ever, more than he ever had before. We could create a new golden. So this implies that Felwinter it has interest of the people at heart, and like he actually like really wants to like protect mankind and help mankind when initially when he took Felwinter Peak for himself and only for himself he would, he didn't really want to be the hero and then he ultimately became one and, but he wanted to do what was right for them. Yeah, his character development definitely leans that direction like he's learning to understand what it means to be <sighs> To be in, not necessarily in charge of people, but to protect people and to have people depend on them. I think. You ready for a spin foil blue? Pens? Sure. Leo? Go for it. We were talking about Rasputin gaining the emotional side. What if Rasputin yes. didn't. Continue. Mm-hmm. Ras- what if Rasputin didn't necessarily get that way on his, ho- on his <laughs> own, but once he assimilated Felwinter's knowledge that he had gained after being turned into a light bearer and after going through Siva and anything, everything. What if his knowledge and understanding of the sentimentality of taking care of the people actually helped Rasputin learn that lesson? I'm, I'm yeah. I, you know, I think if we can accept the qualifier that Rasputin reabsorbed Felwinter, you know, that that's mm-hmm. a big qualifier. But if you sure. can accept that piece, that makes perfect sense to me, because that would follow yeah. in line with the various mythologies in which a king, divine figure, whatever, sends their son to the people and then brings them back. You know, you have like, you know, the prodigal son parable. You have the the whole you know, Christianity beliefs. You have what you were talking about with um, the prince uh, who saw the people and, and changed everything because of that, that um, empathy that was forced upon him. You know, that would, to me, that would 
be a very good parallel with those mythos as well, I think. I think that makes perfect sense to me. That also has other implications that I'm really interested in. There's one more thing I'd like to add. Yes. So it's more about how Felwinter changes as a character, um, how he looks as a person. But I think it was one that, like, the big always question uh, for me was initially, why did Felwinter join the Iron Lord in the first place? Mm Mm-hmm. Especially very relatively early on in, um, I guess, early Dark Age, where it's not exact. It's not like the Iron Lords had a lot of resources. But I think what uh, what what I think is because the Iron Lords want to protect people. Like that's that was Radagast's whole idea, is that basically Felwinter made himself a target that Rasputin because there would be civilians near him, and then ultimately Felwinter through his protection interaction you know, fellow brothers and sisters in arms that became more selfless. And then that's that became the way Rasputin get to him was to make a trap. Lou, what do you think? I think I can see that. Um, you know, I, I I definitely can see that as being... The, I mean, because the other thing is, is that if I remember this correctly, I'm going off the top of my head. Um, Felwinter also is going... I mean, Felwinter, it, it wasn't a completely innocent move on his part. He was using them for things as well. You know, he was he was using the Iron Lords as much as they were, are like quote unquote using him. If you want, uh, he was. I definitely also... think Timmer was using Felwinter. Oh yes, I yeah, I mean yes, Timmer was, and he was very excited about it too. <laughs> In case no one caught that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think Felwinter was also using them because I mean like. Like the whole thing with Shax's castle, right? He used the Iron Lords to get him access to these bunkers because it was only after Felwinter came back from his his self imposed exile on Felwinter Peak that he joined up with the Iron Lords. Like it was and and when he came back from the mountain, it was because he had I think it was after they had discovered the information about Site Six. I want to say, yeah, that's what. Um, Site and he had and like he joined the Iron Lords following his revelation or his realization of his connection to Rasputin. Like Fellspring figured out who Fellwinter was, and then the next card in the liar is him approaching the basically approaching the Iron Lords. So there, there was definitely a plan in the back of his head for you know what he was trying to do. But I think you're also, I think, correct in that as with any of these, as with any story arc, you know, the person who joins them with the intent of just using them up slowly grows fond of the group. And I think he, I think that's what happened here is that he actually developed an emotional connection with these people. As much as he could have an emotional connection. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Do you think that instead of the absorption the idea of absorb, absorb, absorbing Phil Winter, the so cultural information, all the stories, all the music, all the different things that Rasputin was fed by Anna. Culture oftentimes helps express emotional reasoning yes. in ways that language doesn't necessarily do, or data doesn't exactly do in some ways. So. Mm-hmm. It's very possible that with the psycholinguistic 
tactics that Anna took to teach Rasputin that he would eventually come to understand the patterns of that and understand at least what emotions mean, maybe not necessarily grasp them himself until he had enough experience to express them. But well, I don't know. Just to jump in there, I think that was actually the original intent. Um, oh, something that might make sense is look at it like um, look at look at Rasputin as if he was a textbook sociopath. Um, he, he it's not that he's not able to experience emotions. Let's just put that aside. But it's that he isn't able to empathize with things. And so what Anna was trying to do with the whole. Uh, cultural education um, is show him what empathy is like you know um, you know yeah and and that and Dino's talking about that too is and, and we see that in Anna's notes about you know that's that's what she is trying to do she's trying to clue him in onto these like these key key uh, terms key concepts because then you can extrapolate from those key concepts you know it's it's data points that then you can extrapolate further connections. It's basically um, the concept of non-Euclidean geometry is like you take a couple of axioms and you build upon those axioms because those axioms, if you if you assume that those axioms are axiomatic and are, are undoubtedly true, then you can build truths based off those truths, which are in conclusion true as well. And so that's what Anna was trying to do with the, right. you know, with like Shakespeare and all those sonnets and right. you know, all that stuff was but give him the... the foundation. Now, the argument I think is you can have data points, but can you actually experience sentimentality just right. from a but intellectual point? Here's the here's the thing that's interesting is Vuru mentioned it that he can turn off empathy by choice, right? Like that's the Correct. nice thing about the AI aspect, but being able to turn off empathy is one thing because empathy is the understanding of feelings of others, right? Correct. Understanding how somebody else is reacting. That Rasputin, is... Yep. until yep. Fellwinter, until Fellwinter's um, quote unquote betrayal or falling into the hands of the light, Rasputin had no necessarily, hadn't had the same kind of emotional reaction until Correct. that point because Fellwinter is a part of. Rasputin in many ways. So in some ways it was an affront to Rasputin. So Rasputin's anger, that's the first emotion that we see from him, comes out. Mm-hmm. And then you it's, see it's this very, kind of It's very similar to like child development. Um Yeah. I, I will also emphasize that just the ability to turn off empathy does not mean that you don't feel emotions. Uh, it's a very it's a very big pet peeve of mine when you have popular society portray sociopaths as being unemotional that's not actually accurate at all they have a, a sociopath has emotions they don't have empathy and that they just and can't green, read other people's emotions as much well they just they they aren't able to empathize they they view like a, a true sociopath views another human being as just a fixture like it's not a there's there's no connection on an on an emotional level an empathetic there is no empathetic connection between them and but that's not to say that they can't get frustrated they can't get angry they can't be happy no they do but that's actually what makes them so quote-unquote dangerous for those who have breaks that's the same as Rasputin if we're going to allow the concept of him having actual emotions that puts that's why in 
pretty much pick your science fiction movie. Whenever a massive AI starts having emotions, it gets dangerous because there is no the the thing that keeps you in check from a from a humanistic standpoint is your empathy, your ability to put yourself in the other person's shoes. So you don't want to hurt that person because you know what that feels like. That that's empathy. And so if you don't have empathy and you get mad, let's take Rasputin again, he gets mad, so he throws a tantrum and he breaks Fellwinter. Well, now he's and and this is usually where you see in uh child development this is where you see you know the development of empathy like the the learning of oh this you know i hit somebody and that hurts them well then i get hit and that that hurts i don't like that oh okay and then you start seeing the dots being connected there um but again ai that's that's a it's a huge debate because you're 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 connecting a purely non-physical intellectual entity with something that seems to be very inherently connected to physicality and like the there's a there's an inherent connection that humans share which is why so many people find the concept of sociopathy very very um disturbing because it 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 flies in the face of what we understand humanity to be um so that's that's where like Rasputin that's where that's my hang up with Rasputin having like emotions is like I'm like I see it but I at the same time I'm also I'm like I don't know if I don't I honestly don't know how I fully feel but this this is actually a really big debate in reality around machine learning and AIs about you know can they feel or it would it be possible for a, a machine learning system to ever develop emotions um you know, there's there's people on both both sides of that debate. I think the big interesting thing that would help us answer that is not necessarily Rasputin's quote unquote fondness for his creation, but does he have regret over it? Well, and then re- you, yeah, and then you run into the fact of is does he actually have like I mean like short of us being shown like from Rasputin's perspective. um, there's always going to be that doubt of, is he just telling us what we need to hear to make us assume? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I mean, the thing is, is he's a super intelligent entity. Like that's the thing with Rasputin is like, it's not like, it's not a matter of, you know, we can trust everything he says on face value. We know he can, he can be misleading. Like he has misled multiple instances of us. Like, we have been misled by him. Other guardians have been misled by him. The whole situation with the Iron's Bane was a misleading of his to punish the Traveler, quote unquote, for taking what was his. Like it, it's the proverbial: the kid came and took the toy from the sandbox, and the other kid got mad at him for it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's so I. Oh my gosh, I could go on forever. So I'm just going to stop. <laughs> I think we should start wrapping up if we can, because this debate is not just for this episode. I don't think. No, I think this is going to be one that's going to continue. I mean, I I hope that you know to start wrapping up there too is. I think that this is a really really fascinating topic, and I really hope that they continue to dive into this storyline with the next couple seasons, because developing Rasputin's character arc is is to me really interesting. 
because it, it gets into some of the really fundamental aspects of what it is to be human or to be alive even it's like you know what what exactly is emotion what is what is regret what is anger you know what is that stuff that Rasputin is claiming he has but does he actually have it you know but I will I will shut up and let the guests do their shout outs <laughs> so Laz had to take off because little one woke up so he sends his best regards to everyone and you guys can check him out Twitter at the Lazrich. He's a cool guy. He puts out a lot of interesting stuff. He definitely has a huge footprint within the uh, lore community. He likes to kind of hop in on a lot of different discussions there. So look him up if you guys are still interested. Neo, do you have any shout outs for us? Uh, I'm just going to shout out to my clan, Paracos to Destiny, for over a year now. So I'm very thankful. Um, I want to shout out my girlfriend again for listening to me ramble about, and then I want to thank, I want to shout out to you guys for letting last minute. Absolutely. It's, it's actually kind of fun to have a lot of people on here to get other perspectives too. Heads, do you guys, do you have any shout outs for us? Yeah. Still still awake and alive over there? Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. Um, shout out to you guys for having me on um honestly just the the this book actually really interested me grabbed me in a way that i haven't seen i haven't been grabbed in a while and it was just interesting to dig through it and read through it um yeah uh big shout out to my wife who kind of just has met just rolled her eyes briefly at me when i told her i was coming down to get on the podcast and uh tried to keep it down so she wouldn't wake up is she uh, rewatching Game of Thrones again? Because you can roll her eyes at her for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do, <laughs> and yes, she does. Hey, <laughs> she loves doing it because it's perfect background while she knits. So yeah. Yeah. Then no, I'm not gonna judge. I watch really weird things, so Game of Thrones is not a weird thing compared to a lot of things that I watch. So I just fall down YouTube rabbit holes. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh, shout outs for me goes to the community this week for having more of a lighthearted week in many ways compared to what it has been this season. There's still a lot of salt out there, but the, um, uh, the why, why aren't you, why don't you look like this men meme and why don't you look like this women meme has been kind of fun to see, even though I think it's a little bit goofy at times considering Man at Arms is putting like cartoon characters out there. But uh, the other thing is the community getting excited for next season or for at least the pyramid ships to show up and the the whole thing that started happening with the Almighty showing up in the sky and Twitter lighting up with that excitement. It is good to see the community get pumped for something, even if it is just something a little bit uh, just doomsday-esque. This community has a very weird sense of excitement for that kind of thing. Just gonna throw that out there. You guys are sickos. <laughs> and we love you for it. Yeah, yes, well. we do, because I'm right there with you. <laughs> someone someone posted, I think it was Paul Tassie had posted something about, like, I can see it in the skybox. I can't remember if it was, like, Swain or someone, but they posted, they're like, you know, 
I just realized, but anyone who's not in the Destiny community probably doesn't understand what in the hell is going on and is really confused. Because <laughs> there's all these pictures of people looking at the sun. <laughs> They're like, what are you doing? I also like how Bungie tells you not to look at the sun. And then today posted a thing about put your the emote that has the sunglasses, which is my favorite emote. It is my green-eyed music lover emote. I am calling it canon. I don't care if it's not, but uh, they're telling you to look at the sun with the sunglasses on if you are going to look at the sun. And I'm like, no, that still doesn't. That's not how that works. You don't get you don't get magic powers from sunglasses. You have to have special, special like. Yeah, that's why the the eclipse glasses don't work. Oh, my God. The eclipse glasses. Oh, my God. (laughs) Just use a welder's helmet. It works fine. Mm. This there's is no, true. There's no Elder's helmet in the tower. Are you kidding? Yeah, right? I know. That... There's no protect. <laughs> there's no PPE. No, we're gonna go back to this. Really? <laughs> I was like ready to close the show out. <laughs> I was like, Talk- didn't you just? <laughs> the most triggering. Oh, like a dying. <laughs> it's like, oh, look, a dying fire. Here's ten gallons of gasoline. Let's see what happens. I love you, Pins, but you're a jerk. <laughs> you knew that would trigger me. Uh, well, no, I mean, it's not like I mentioned the... Don't you do it. Okay, I'll stop. Uh-huh. Sweet meats? No. Nope. Not saying it. <laughs> All right. I'm just sitting here bracing. <laughs> no, Wicked. No, no, no. I'm not doing it. You can't make me. You can't make me. Oh, man. Well, as always, thank you again for your time. And until next time, remember, with wisdom we conquer, stand strong, stand tall, and keep exploring. With that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusedfirechat. Links to all our episode archives can be found at www.thelorenetwork.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any comments and or questions for the team concerning the podcast, and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright.